I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I hope you're enjoying these stories as much as I enjoy discovering them and telling you about them. If you'd like to be notified each time an episode is released, find Notorious Bakersfield on any podcast app and subscribe to it. Before I get started, I wanted to explain how I wrestled with a decision I had to make regarding how to present this story. Sadly, the crime that I cover in this episode involves a brutal slaying where several juveniles are implicated and one was even charged as a minor. I learned about this case through publicly available sources, newspaper archived coverage, and court documents. The information is easily accessible to anybody who wishes to find it. This includes the names of those who were minors at the time. For the juveniles who were never charged or convicted of a crime, I made the decision to not use their true names. For the adults involved in this story, most of those named are their real names, with one exception, and I'll explain that at the end. Like I said, the information is out there. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out or find the real names. You're just not going to hear those names from me. Ellen was a 34-year-old housewife who, in 1977, lived in a quiet southeast Bakersfield neighborhood with her husband and three teenage kids. Oh, Ellen also had a boyfriend who doubled as her pimp. That little bit of information that I gave you right there, that should give you an indication of what a bizarre story this is that I'm about to tell you. It reminds me of the quote of Mark Twain's quote that truth is stranger than fiction, but it is because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities. Truth isn't. And that's certainly the case with this story. If you were to write this story as a movie or a TV show, every studio you'd pitch it to, they'd laugh you out their doors. When I first learned about this case, I couldn't believe I'd never heard of it. And everyone I asked about it, who was around Bakersfield in 1977, they'd never heard about it either. The more I researched, the more fascinated I became. It's a wild story with several unexpected twists. Ellen Jane Peel, P-E-E-L, lived with her husband, Eddie, and their three teenage kids, Arthur, 16, Dwayne, 14, and Lydia, 13. They lived in unincorporated Southeast Bakersfield in the 1800 block of Cindy Drive. The neighborhood is middle class and borders Weed Patch Highway and Red Bank Road. Eddie Peel, 42, was a native of Texas, but had lived in Bakersfield for 30 years. He was a Korean War veteran and worked as a union pipe fitter. Not a lot of information is available about the Peel's relationship before the mid-1970s. This is what is known. 
Eddie was eight years older than Ellen when he married her. She was 17 and he was 25 at the time. Ellen didn't ever work outside the home and Eddie was the sole provider for the family. In 1975, Ellen took out a $15,000 life insurance policy on her husband. Sometime in February 1977, Ellen met Michael David Haley. Everyone just called him Big Mike. Evidently, this relationship soon evolved into a sexual relationship. Media accounts um, from that time described Haley, or Big Mike, as Ellen's lover. Through his relationship with Ellen, Big Mike became acquainted with her kids and a 16-year-old neighborhood friend of her kids by the name of Steve Snyder. All of the kids seemed to be comfortable with whatever relationship Ellen and Big Mike had. I'm not sure if they understood that the relationship was more than just friends. Around the time Big Mike and Ellen became friends, he was in the process of trying to start a restaurant. On April 1st, 1977, Ellen Pill took out an $8,600 loan against the Pill family residence on Cindy Drive. It was later determined that Eddie Pill's signature on those loan documents was forged. Ellen Pill requested that all correspondence regarding the loan be mailed to a friend's address. She also asked for an $800 advance on the loan for a family weekend trip and that all checks concerning the loan be made payable only to her, Ellen J. Peel. Then on April 8, 1977, both Ellen Peel and Big Mike were arrested at the Casa Royal Inn Motel by undercover Bakersfield vice officers on prostitution charges. Ellen for being a prostitute and Big Mike for being her pimp. To drop the charges, both of them agreed to be paid informants for the Bakersfield Police Department. One week later, on Friday, April 15th, while Ellen's husband, Eddie Peel, went on a fishing trip, Ellen, Big Mike, all three of Ellen's kids, and Steve, the neighborhood teenage friend down the street, decided to take a trip to San Diego. The first day, the group drove as far as Los Angeles and spent the night in a two-room hotel suite there. They left for San Diego the next day. The group arrived about 3 p.m. in San Diego. Again, they stayed in a two-room suite at the Sheridan Inn on the sixth floor. The three boys stayed in one room, while Big Mike, Ellen, and Ellen's 13-year-old daughter, Lydia, stayed in the other room. They did all the typical things people do when visiting San Diego, they went to SeaWorld and saw the sights and went out to a nice dinner. Then late that Saturday night, things got more serious. The group, all of them, even the neighbor kid Steve, began to plot how to kill Eddie Pill, Ellen's husband, Arthur, Dwayne, and Lydia's own father. The plan was for Steve Snyder, the 16-year-old neighborhood friend, to shoot Eddie Peel and Dwayne Peel was going to take responsibility. The reason they wanted to kill Eddie Peel? Because Ellen claimed Eddie had been molesting Lydia, their 13 year old daughter. The group discussed the murder plot late into the night in their hotel room in San Diego. Everyone had a role to play, and each of them had specific things to say to the authorities once Eddie was dead. 
They went over and refined their plan on the drive home to Bakersfield on Sunday. The group planned this to take place on Monday evening when they returned to Bakersfield. It was going to happen while Dwayne and Steve were alone in the house with Eddie Peel. Ellen was going to leave the house for the neighborhood market with her oldest son, Arthur. While at the market, she was going to use a payphone to call the police to report that her husband had been molesting Lydia. Lydia was going to be at a friend's house across the street from the Peels. While there, Lydia was going to confide to this friend that her dad had been molesting her. Steve, the 16-year-old neighborhood friend, was going to shoot Eddie Peel with a 12-gauge shotgun the Peel family had at their home. Then, on Monday, when all this was supposed to happen, Steve, the designated trigger man, remembered he had a meeting to attend Monday evening that he'd forgotten all about. So their plan changed, and everything was going to take place the next evening. On Tuesday evening, Lydia went across the street to visit her friend. Ellen and her oldest son, Arthur, were walking out of the house to go to the market when she walked over to Dwayne and told him, quote, do it right or don't do it at all. Dwayne and Steve were left alone with Eddie Peel. Everything was going as planned until Steve got cold feet and couldn't go through with it. He just couldn't bring himself to commit murder. That's when Dwayne took the 12-gauge shotgun from his friend and walked out of the bedroom. Steve laid on the bedroom floor and covered his ears. Eddie Peel was dozing in his recliner in the family room listening to CB radio. Dwayne walked in to get his father's attention and said, Dad. When Eddie saw his son standing in the family room pointing the shotgun directly at him, the father said, quote, No, D, don't. I never did a thing to you. Dwayne fired four rounds into Eddie, then went to his bedroom and told Steve that his father was still breathing. Dwayne reloaded, walked back into the family room, and emptied the shotgun into his dad. Dwayne laid the shotgun by the sofa, and the two boys exited the house, smoked a cigarette, fed the family's animals, and waited for deputies to arrive. Seriously, they did that. <laughs> After killing his dad, they went and fed the animals. You're probably wondering where Big Mike was when all this was going down. For someone in the thick of the engineering of the murder of his girlfriend's husband, Big Mike would need a solid alibi. And you couldn't get a more solid alibi than Joe Ragosa, Detective Joe Ragosa, with the Bakersfield Police Department. Remember, I told you that Big Mike and Alan Peel started working with the Bakersfield Police as paid informants so that they would drop the prostitution charges? While Eddie Peel was being murdered, Big Mike was at the Bakersfield Police Department planning a prostitution sting operation with Vice Detective Joe Ragusa. Kern County Sheriff's deputies soon arrived at the Peel family home. 
Ella and Arthur returned home at about the same time detectives and deputies were getting there. Dwayne Pill confessed that he was the one who shot his dad. The youth was arrested and booked into Kern County Juvenile Hall. Later that night, Steve Snyder's mom, the neighborhood kid down the street, invited Ellen and her, her two kids to spend the night at her house, and Ellen accepted. Then about 11 p.m. that night, Mike, Big Mike, showed up at the Snyder family residence. Ellen introduced Big Mike to Mrs. Snyder as her business partner. And then Ellen asked if it was okay if Big Mike could spend the night. This made Mrs. Snyder a little uncomfortable, and she said no. So Ellen gave the kids a tranquilizer and drove off with Big Mike. Let that sink in. Their dad was just blown away by their brother, and their mom leaves them at a neighbor's house so she can spend the night with her boyfriend-slash-pimp-slash-business partner. You can't make this stuff up. Graveside services were held for Eddie Lee Peel in Porterville on the Saturday after he died. I'm sure that was a really awkward occasion for the entire family. So everything was clicking along, according to plan. So far, Dwayne Pill was the only suspect behind bars for the murder of his father. Then, several days into the investigation, Steve Snyder, the 16-year-old neighborhood friend, contradicted an earlier statement he had given to the Kern County Sheriff homicide detectives, and the plot began to unravel. Ellen Peel and Michael Haley were arrested on April 25th, both charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder in the death of Eddie Lee Peel. Evidently, sometime after their arrest, Ellen and Big Mike's relationship ended. Newspapers' accounts began referring to the couple as ex-lovers. Dwayne Chester Peel, the 14-year-old son of Ellen and Eddie Peel, was sentenced to serve time in the California Youth Authority for his part in the murder of his father. Since he was a juvenile, those records were sealed. Pre-trial hearings were held for Ellen Peel and Michael Haley throughout the spring and summer of 1977. It was decided that the pair would be tried separately, with each defendant's guilt or innocence being determined by different juries. On July 22nd, while still being held at the Kern County Jail for the murder of her husband, Ellen Pill married a fellow Kern County inmate named Gerald Wayne Ritchie. Ritchie was awaiting his own trial for the robbery and murder of an Oildale furniture store owner. The couple met through mutual friends while in Kern County Jail. The ceremony was held in the lineup room, and the newlyweds spent their honeymoon not only in separate jail cells, but on separate decks of the Kern County Jail. Ellen Pill's trial began before her co-conspirators. Judge Gerald K. Davis swore in the six-man, six-woman jury panel on Monday, September 19, 1977. Prosecuting the case was Deputy District Attorney Lynn McGillivray and famed local defense attorney Timothy Lamucci represented Ellen Pill. During the almost month-long trial, 
the assistant DA presented witnesses and evidence that Ellen Peel conspired with Michael Haley and manipulated the youths into killing her husband for financial gain, not because he was molesting their daughter. The most compelling witness called to testify to refute the molestation accusation was Lydia Peel herself, the couple's 13-year-old daughter. On the witness stand, the young girl denied that her father had ever molested her. Shortly before Dwayne Peel was to testify at his mother's trial, authorities at Juvenile Hall intercepted a letter Ellen Peel wrote to her son. In the letter, she coached her son about what to say when he testified. When it was time for the defense to present their case, attorney Timothy Lamucci called mental health experts to testify that Ellen wasn't capable mentally to orchestrate such an elaborate conspiracy to murder her husband. It was also argued that she tried stopping the murder plot from happening. On October 17, 1977, the jury found Ellen Peel guilty of both first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Because of the publicity surrounding Ellen Peel's trial and eventual conviction, Michael David Haley's defense attorneys argued to the court that his trial should have a change of venue. The judge denied this request, so they argued that the jury should at least be sequestered. This, too, was denied. On April 27, 1978, more than a year after Eddie Peel's murder and almost six months after Ellen Peel's conviction, Michael David Haley's trial finally began. Like Ellen Peel's trial, Big Mike's trial took almost a month. On May 23rd, the jury found Michael Haley guilty of both counts, first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder, in the shotgun death of Eddie Lee Peel. Both Ellen Peel and Michael Haley were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after seven years. At Ellen's sentencing hearing, a psychiatrist testified that the convicted murderer suffered from severe mental disorders, in addition to being intellectually disabled. Dwayne Peel, Ellen Peel, and Michael David Haley were the only subjects charged and convicted for the murder of Eddie Peel. Ellen's new husband, Gerald Ritchie, the guy she married while they were both awaiting trial for unrelated murders, he too was found guilty of his crimes before being transferred to different state prisons the newlyweds asked jail authorities for a conjugal visit. The request was denied. Finally, something that makes sense in this whole story. Back to the names. I use the real names for all of the adults involved with the exception of Steve Snyder's mom. The only juvenile whose real name I used was Dwayne Peel because he was charged, found guilty, and was sentenced in the murder of his own dad to the California Youth Authority. For this story, I relied heavily on the reporting of Ann Richards for the Bakersfield Californian and also online court documents for both Michael David Haley and Ellen Jane Peel. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I welcome feedback. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for stories you'd like me to cover on future episodes, 
email me at notoriousbakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. It's all one word. Be sure to visit Notorious Bakersfield's social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to advertise your business on Notorious Bakersfield, you can become a sponsor. Email me at the email address I told you before, notoriousbakersfield at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app. And that is the best way to get notified whenever a new uh, episode is released. It will notify you if you're subscribed to it on a podcast app. So this is Robert Peterson wishing you a happy, pleasant rest of your week.